Amanda and I'm Kristen and we are the extra sisters so sit back relax and let's get creepy welcome to episode 178 but before we get started we just wanted to say a quick happy birthday to one of our patrons Elena happy birthday happy birthday we hope you have an amazing week and thank you so much for your support we really appreciate it now we have already kind of reviewed this film but we didn't give it its own episode and it really deserves it yeah if you go back to the dark ages of 2020. <laughs> and remember a little series we did that almost killed me. Uh, a little years tiny of, series. A little tiny series called 100 Years of Horror, where we watched 100 movies in addition to our regular episodes, in addition to our hype, in addition to our Patreon. It was a year. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> we discussed, you know, a movie from every year that horror has been an active genre starting in 1920. And we hit the 50s. And this film really stuck out to both of us as being a favorite, really among all 100 films. Mm -hmm. We watched a lot of really good movies. And then we watched a lot of movies that I don't even remember watching. Same. You know, and these were the best of the best, according to Rotten Tomatoes. That's the scale that we used. So the highest rated of every year is what we did. And this was from 1955. Yes. And this is called The Night of the Hunter. And I never heard of this film before watching it for 100 Years of Horror. And upon researching it, I'm actually surprised. It didn't win any major awards back in the 50s. It actually wasn't super well loved in the 50s. But then as we started going back into film, people realized what they missed with this movie. Oh my God, they missed so much because... Yes. I think if people would have realized what they had, it probably would have been up for some, you know, major awards and things like that. But once we started going back, it it immediately became a classic. And Mm -hmm. this film is haunting and devastating and terrifying, but in ways that really take you by surprise. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you don't think of a 50s film being terrifying, but this is terrifying and this is actually based on a true story Mm -hmm. of a serial killer that killed women for their money and also killed children in basically as collateral damage, you know? Yep. And so this is like true terror. And the... Even in black and white... And even a little bit in the just style of the 50s with some things being a little overacted or a little exaggerated or maybe not necessarily how we would portray things today with acting. It doesn't take you out of the emotion of this film. Oh, my God. This film is so emotional. Oh, my God. I don't I don't know how you could be taken out of it. And the scenes that they do especially when their emotional scenes are shot amazingly they're Mm -hmm. so beautiful like there's a scene when 
the mother is getting ready to die and just the lighting like she's in this room but it almost looks like they're on a stage like you can see how this would have been an amazing stage play and robert mitchum is the antagonist in this and he was also the antagonist in the original cape fear yes and he is i want to watch so bad and he is just like so scary like he's so attractive he's that very like serial killer-esque like you know how ted bundy was well i don't think he's that attractive but you know (laughs) back in the day i guess yeah yeah. (laughs) like could lure you in and make everyone the entire town in this movie loves him and he's a preacher and he's doing the work of the lord and they he has these people eating out of the palm of his hand all the while he is on a murder spree Yes, but it also works in, you know, the present day as well, because Robert Mitchum, as a person, was an asshole. I'm not saying he was a serial killer or anything. He, Robert Mitchum, absolutely hated Shelley Winters. She's the mother of these kids who's trying to take care of them and ends up falling for him and gets married to him. And she just wants to be the good little preacher's wife and he hates her and he hated her in real life too. Like that when she finally dies and you see her body floating at the bottom of this pond, which is so beautiful, so beautifully done. Oh my gosh. It is stunning. It's so gorgeous. It's very haunting. It is. Yes. But in real life, Robert Mitchum would make comments like now she'll shut up and shit like that. So he, he was in real life an asshole. So it even brings more of it to this film. Mm. that doesn't surprise me because this is you know a lot of people like romanticize the 50s and the 60s forgetting Mm -hmm. how misogynistic everything was in the 50s and 60s you know and even women that were in acting and in Hollywood were still subject to all of that Absolutely. I mean, you talk about you love Rosemary's Baby and how amazing Mia Farrow is and how amazing of a person she is now. Like all of her adopted Mm -hmm. children, all the love she has for the world. She's an amazing person. But then you look at the fact that, you know, when Rosemary's Baby was happening, she was with Frank Sinatra and Frank Sinatra was a fucking prick. Yeah, he was. And he gets romanticized a lot, too. Yes, a lot. Just because his voice is beautiful does not mean he was a good guy. I mean, look at Elvis Presley. He was a pedophile. Right, exactly. And especially back then. Like, I mean, think of all the things, Trump, that people are allowed to get away with now as opposed to back then, which is even more. Right, yeah. So, and she just had to, you know, work next to him. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. you know. Being hated that whole time. Yeah. But that being said, he really did so great in this movie. Like such an amazing job. And I don't think it would have been the same with like anyone else. Agreed. Like I'm just kids. The kid and the kids, like Robert Mitchum did a great job, but without that little boy, Billy Chapin, it was his name that played John. And Sally Jane Bruce played Pearl, the two little kids that are the victims this whole time and running for their lives. Gotta look after Pearl. Yeah. Oh, those kids. They did such a good fucking job. 
So basically the plot of the story is very simple and there's not a ton of plot walkthrough, but they, so in the very beginning of this film, we have this family. So we talked about Shelly Winter's character. She is the a mother of two children and her husband is, he robbed a bank and he brought home $10,000 and the, he didn't do a great job because the cops were right on his trail and they were following him home and he gave the money to his son and had his and hid it in his daughter's baby doll. It's like a, you know, a fabric doll. Mm -hmm. Think about like a raggedy Ann type thing and made him swear not to tell anyone where this money was, no matter what. And he was put to death for this robbery. So left his wife, a widow and two children behind his cellmate was Reverend Harry Powell, who is Robert Mitchum's character. And Reverend Harry Powell is a really terrible person. Even before he was, he was put in jail for stealing a car. But even before that, we hear him talking about killing people. He's like, he's talking to the Lord and he's like, the killings don't bother me, Lord, your book's full of them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Oh, okay. I mean, he's not wrong, you know, but right. he just kills people for whatever convenience he needs. And he justifies it in that way. Right. Especially women that he can take their money. And he he makes a comment on that as well. So he's a bluebeard. He is, yes. And he specifically says, you know, the Lord hates blonde curly things, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. And he travels along the Ohio River justifying the woman he murders. He has a switchblade knife and he marries them for their money and he says he's doing God's work. And when he's in the cell with their father, his he basically tells them that he has this $10,000 that he hid somewhere. And so now Harry is going to find this woman and her children and try to find where he hid this money. So... He's just going to find his next victim. Right. And so he finds this family, woos the wife, marries her. And then the whole time he's trying to get John, who's the son. He's probably what? Like 10 years old, maybe? Yeah, that'd be my assumption. Super young. And the little girl's maybe like five, six. six? Yeah. Like she speaks in, in sentences. So, yeah. Yeah. And the little boy will not tell. John is absolutely not telling. He has sworn not to, but Pearl knows where it is too. So he's also got to try to keep her quiet, but Pearl's a little girl and she likes Harry because he's nice to her until he's not. Right. He murders their mother, even though the town, like he convinces the town that she just ran off and he's this great guy that's not going to take care of these two kids. Which is so fucked up. Like, you've been in this town with this woman, you know, her whole life, assuming. It's small town, 1930s, 50s, whatever. Like, people don't often move far away. No. They've been with her forever, and they're just like, yeah, oh, she would totally just run away on her two kids. Oh, yeah. They believe this man they've known for, like, a month. Yeah. Over this woman that they've known for years and years and years. It's disgusting. And there's this one character who's like the gossiper of the town. That's like her best friend immediately turns on her. Yeah. She's like, oh, I knew it all along. Wow. You are a fucking 
right Scotty bitch yes her husband though is like "Mm, i don't know i don't think willow would run off like that that just seems off and she's like oh she would too and it's like damn yeah you can definitely tell he's not allowed to have opinions and stuff so it's like he'll say something and then we're done yeah which is interesting because usually especially in this time it's the other way around Mm -hmm. but she's like kind of the the church lady that makes all the food for everyone and you know like and watches all the children so she has a lot of say in how all the children are reared and all the moms go to her for all the advice and Mm -hmm. you know she's kind of the matriarch of the town if you will and we also have another auxiliary character of this older man that works at this dock and John, the little boy goes to him a lot for like solace and advice and just to kind of get away. He finds their mom's body and knows that she's been murdered and knows that they're going to blame him because it's like right by his little boathouse. Yeah. So, and he's like, fighting with himself about what he's going to do. Is he going to tell? Is he not going to tell? But he knows that those poor kids are living with a fucking murderer. Mm-hmm. But the he starts to get fairly violent with them because they still won't tell where the money is until they do. And he figures it out. And that night they run away. They get into this little tiny boat. And then they just start going down the Ohio River and every now and then just start begging for food. Like one lady gives them a single potato each. And it's it's really sad. Just there's this whole, I'd probably say 10, 15 minutes of movie where you just see them going down the river, sleeping and yeah, surviving. These poor, these poor babies. Completely parentless. Both parents are dead with a man literally hunting them. Yeah. Because they have ten thousand dollars in a doll right which doesn't really do them any good but the whole point is not giving it to him exactly well they give it to him he's also going to kill them so exactly right it's keeping them alive you know also that and eventually they fall asleep and wash up on the shore of this angel of a woman oh my god i love her i want to be her Hi, that's what I was thinking. When I grow up, I want to be her. You can't just legally take kids off the street now, though. But yeah. (laughs) If they wash up like Moses, I'm taking them in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they just wash up on her property and she takes them and cleans them up. And now they live in her house because they don't have anywhere to go. And she does that. Like she has three other kids that just don't have anywhere else to go. And she just keeps these kids. Yeah. Because she loves and respects children. She's the fucking best. And she listens to them. Like, John doesn't necessarily act out, but you can definitely see he's not a part of this group. I mean, he's he's a brand new foster kid, basically. So she, one night, everybody else goes to bed, and she's like, John, go get me an apple. Get one for yourself, too, so that she can take a second and talk to him. And he just kind of, like, silently holds her hand that night. Just a very small, physical you know, like, connection. Yeah, and she, like, you can tell she just understands children so well. I mean, eventually you know that the preacher is going to find them again, and he does, and she goes out there, and she's like, John, come on over here, and John just looks at her. Like, he won't even look at the preacher, and she's like, what's up, John? She just keeps looking at him and not the preacher, and he finally goes, she finally goes, 
you you should be talking to your dad if he's talking to you. And he goes, he's not my dad. And she goes, he's not preacher either. And goes and grabs a fucking shotgun. She listens to kids. She pays attention to what's going on and doesn't just dismiss them. Yeah. And and not even like in the 50s. We do that with kids all the time. Exactly. They're just little people. Exactly. She easily could have been like, oh, he's your father. Now they're not my problem. Take him. Right. But hell fucking no. She not only goes, he's not a fucking preacher. She pulls a gun on him, waits up all all night. And when he comes in her house, she fucking shoots the motherfucker. Hell yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then calmly calls the cops and goes, I have something in my barn. My girl, my hero. Yeah, and then you're like, how are you going to explain that you just shot this man? Because you're worried that, like, especially in this time, they're going to be like, why did you shoot this nice man? But turns out they know exactly who he is at this point. Yeah. Like, they figured out at some point that he killed Willa and that it was him that did it. And so they take him back to the town. And this fucking city is, like, torches and pitchforks for this dude. Like, it is madness and of course the one that was like i knew she would run off that hussy Mm -hmm. is the one like leading Leading the charge (laughs) yeah and it's like okay you were wrong and now you gotta which is fair i mean that was her friend but it's like come on man but she's also just the biggest mouthpiece overall like this this mommy figure now is taking these kids to just like an ice cream parlor or something just to sit and calm down because it's been a lot of fucking shit that has happened here. And of course, this loudmouth woman comes in going, oh, the children. And it's like, they're just trying to calm the fuck down. Shut up. Let them eat some ice cream. God. God. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. And like the whole, this movie does such a great job of like when those children are being hunted and there's one scene where they're just trying to sleep before they're, they make it to their new, like we'll call it a foster home before they make it there. They're sleeping in a loft of a barn and it's becoming, it's like daybreak or something. It's kind of hard to tell when it's black and white, what they're getting at, but I think it's daybreak cause you kind of see his silhouette. And so I'm assuming mm-hmm. that's like a shadow is what they're getting at. And he's just singing loudly and it is so menacing and scary yes and the way it's shot like you said where it's that silhouette it just it feels like a story you would tell kids around a campfire absolutely don't do this or don't don't beware of singing preachers because of this like that's the story it's like a scary stories to tell in the dark story right here yes absolutely and it just you feel so this movie does such a great job. We talked about emotions. It does such a great job of walking you through it. You feel like that desperation from the kids and you just feel so horrible because they are just little tiny babies. Yes. And you know, he's not going to stop at beating them. Like there's a point before he finds out that it's in the doll where he takes him down to the basement and he just like presses John's head into a barrel to get the little girl to say where the hell it is. And it's like, you know, he's not going to stop there. Like he will fucking kill that kid. Yeah. Right. It's ruthless. Yeah. And it's, and they make that very clear with how like, just, I, I don't like scary. They wrote this character and it yes. very much reminds me of watching Cape fear. Like another one of his works. Now I watched the, like 
I've I started watching the original and I didn't make it through it not for any reason because it was bad I don't something came up and I stopped watching it but just I've only watched completely through the De Niro one but it's the same type of like you're so on edge the whole time mm-hmm. and especially with this and this is actually especially from the 1950s a longer film too yes I was really surprised I honestly thought it was going to be like two hours and I looked at it I was like it's only an hour and a half how is this movie only an hour and a half there's so much that happens it feels like it's longer but not in a bad way yeah it's exactly just, there there is so much that happens and there's so many like by the time you're at the end like you completely forget about the fact that they had a dad and like he right? robbed a bank and that they even like their mom died and you're like it's oh my god so many different stages that are you know their own separate stories basically yep and he, he's so he's such a smart villain because one of the girls in the home in the foster home is a teenager and she's getting so desperate for some sort of connection outside of her foster home that she goes in gets boys to like buy her ice cream and things like that and he preys on that and sits with her and gets her to tell him where the where Pearl and John are Mm-hmm. and she falls right into it and even even though she knows that he's a bad guy even later into the movie she's still very enamored with him yeah even as we have the torches and pitchforks coming out she's still wandering through the town going you never liked him to our mother figure yeah i fucking didn't he's a bad fucking guy he kill. he's gonna kill you ruby right gosh you do get that resolve at the end. Like it's Christmas at the end and they all get gifts and John gets like a stopwatch from her and you can tell he's happy and content with where he's at, but you never. And like at the end, Rachel, who is kind of the foster mom talks about the resiliency of children and how, you know, it's, it's a very sweet message. But for me, at least that whole like desperation and that sadness of this the theme of this film and all of the death and tragedy that these kids went through it never goes away Mm -hmm. you know I know that he gets caught and I know that they end up in a safe place and all that's fine and dandy and everything but it never like that loss never like fully resolves for me Mm -hmm. it just feels like they do such a good job of just creating that just it is just like I mentioned in the beginning just such a devastating film yes but also like for me I think they did a really good job because this woman has also had her own devastation she has a son that basically has nothing to do with her anymore so she's creating this other little family and now she has you know another son that's traumatized and they can kind of bond together. Yeah, no, it's super sweet. It's just like, man, this these poor kids have been through so much. And you're like, I'm so glad they're safe. But like, yeah, why? <laughs> you know, why did we have to see that? Or <laughs> why did we have to go through all that? Yeah. Like, is... I'm gonna do it again, because it's <laughs> right, good. Exactly. But... It's so good. But it is so sad. Yeah. They're just little babies, especially when like, it's sad for the little girl, but like mostly you just watch John try so hard to take care of his sister and it feels oh. so real, you know, especially because that's literally the last thing his dad said to him was take care of Pearl. And that's like the mantra that he has. He says it multiple times throughout the movie. I got to take care of Pearl. And that's just how he lives. Mm. It is just like it's a heavy film, but I recommend this to I think we both picked this one as our favorite from the Mm -hmm. 50s. (laughs) I think so, too. 
Like there were a lot of really good films from the fifties. Yeah, our fifty the fifties was our overall favorite decade too. Like I mean, I think a good job. even House of Wax came from here and you know, but this mm-hmm. one just came out of left field and like sucker punched both of us. Uh such a good fucking movie. Oh my uh, god. Five out of five. Like I I'm five out of five. I agree. This is definitely a a five out of five. It was such a a wonderful film and I definitely recommend everyone watch it. I even posted about it on Facebook and I was like, Y'all are sleeping mm-hmm. on the night of the hunter because this is so fucking good. Yeah, and if you're one of those people like my husband who doesn't watch films just because they're black and white, oh, you're missing out. You're missing out. He doesn't watch black and white films? He cannot stand black and white films. I can't have him. He won't watch them with me. What? The, some of the, that gave me the best like nostalgia and like, warm fuzzies. Oh, I feel you. I love black and white films. Agreed. I try to get a couple on our schedule each year because people need to watch them more. Yeah, Absolutely. The original person that this was based off of, the serial killer, his name was Harry Powers, for anybody who's interested in that story. Anybody, yeah, so they even kept the original name, and he had five possibly more victims in West Virginia. So, yeah. It's also even scarier when it's based on a true story. Exactly. <sighs> and it's also based on a novel of the same mm-hmm. name, I believe. So you got a true story, a novel, and a film. I hope nobody remakes this. Like, yeah. I just don't, I, I wouldn't want to see it touched personally. Now, I know they remade Cape Fear, and that was actually done really well, and I liked it. But I think this one should just stay just as is. Yeah, I mean, the original Cape Fear wasn't on our 100 Years of Horror, so. Yeah. Obviously, this one is pretty, pretty perfect. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us for this review of The Night of the Hunter, and happy birthday, Elena, again. Happy birthday! You can find us on all of our social medias. Everything is the Extra Sisters podcast, except for Twitter, which is at the Extra Sisters. And, of course, you can follow us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Extra Sisters podcast. And next time, they will tear your soul apart again. Till then, stay creepy.